following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny! It's not funny! Alongside Keith Break, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Oh, Happy New Year. The last day I think you can say it. Somebody told me there's like a three, four-day grace period, and then you can't say it anymore. And by the way, I am Jay, and that is Keith. We have been Hi. gone for a minute. Have you grown? I haven't seen you in a while. No. No. Okay, just check my, it. My hair's a little longer. and Look at you. Uh, hopefully some of it is uh, – hopefully it's growing back in a couple spots. Okay, so since you brought up hair, I'm going to jump right into it. I got a set of clippers. I was uh, gonna say, are you gonna? I thought you were gonna talk about Jake Davis. No, no, the, the the Tyler Rydell lookalike uh, infringement on the gimmick thing. Yep, no. Well, yeah, we, uh, we had somebody courtside uh, who was who was calling him Kenny G. I was mm. like, yeah, it's about the shots he doesn't take. Oh, nice. see, nice. nice. I had that. I had that one loaded up. I never got to use it. But. Uh, yes, because he did take some shots. Um. So, got the clippers, right? And so, I'm going to let the wife cut the hair from now on. But I have to send the message to Tina, who has cut my hair religiously for the past almost 20 years. And I'm trying to – how do you properly tell her? I'm no longer giving her $10 a month. It's over. Just, it's just, just, I think just you rip just the Band-Aid off? I think you just send her a picture. Of, don't rip a Band-Aid off and take what's left of your hair with it. That's fair. Well, also, you cut it short. Like, once you go short, that's why I don't want to go short. Once you go short, there's no going back, especially at our age. So I'm going to stay long and youthful for as long as I possibly can until it is completely I mean, unreasonable. I mean, I'm, I, am, I am so loyal that, you know, she was cutting my hair in the mall, then she moved to Mindy's, and it was three other places, and then now Jelly Beans. And, um, yeah, it's going to be sad. Uh, I've got to say, cause I have a haircut appointment with her next week that I need to go ahead and tell her, you can take me off the books now. And forever, and uh, no, you're saying no card, no thank you. You're just just a quick message. You know what, Tina? Oh, I no, gave you, you a lot you of money. Should, no, you should you should be nice about it. I I would absolutely do that, but um, I think you could you could reasonably just send her a picture. It's like, listen, we both understand what's going on when, here. When when I asked her, should I, you know, because it was like a year and a half where I walked in every day and I said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do it today. Let's go one and a half, take it all off. And then I would, wouldn't pull the trigger. And then one day I looked at her. I said, do you think it's time? And, and she very nicely looked at me and said, honey, it's been time. <laughs> and that's your hairdresser, so, hairstylist, whatever. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's, that's, that's a sad day for me. Yeah. Um, um, basketball, we can talk about that. Talk about men's soups. Um, and I think the big thing that we were, we're going to do, the meat and potatoes and the side salad, and the house fries, because you get the house fries and the baked potato, right? When you go to a steakhouse, like you get, you, you double up on the spuds. I don't, I don't. I'm a, I'm a side salad with the uh, baked potato, just butter. Mm. I, don't, I don't even like it loaded. I just like the. the uh, yeah, I, I double my spuds. Um, football, portal watch. All right, so we're going to talk more about we'll, arrivals than departures. All right, we will talk. Uh, we'll, we'll start with hoops. Uh, Men's, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on some yeah. women. They're in a lull right now, but we still need to talk about the rest of their. Let's do it right now. Uh, men's basketball, okay. 80 to 69 over Mercer last night, led by as many as 21 in the second half. Had to hang on 
to seal the game away. Had a couple guys that were not playing 100%, but uh, just, you know, they don't ask how, they ask how many. At, when you get to seeding time, this is a game that's going to um, stick out for ETSU because they were able to hold on. They dominated the first half. Uh, I thought they kind of ran out of steam a little bit. You could especially notice it on the defensive end. Mercer was able to get to the rim a little bit more. They hit some more shots. Um, also, they were able to get some better looks from three as well, and that got them back in the basketball game. But ETSU gets 22 points from Kimari Peterson, 17 from Ebi Asamoah, double-double from Jaden Parker. And how about Gabe Sisk, 10 points, three rebounds, and a team-leading four assists last night. That's a guy that we're going to need to talk about. But for, to get it started, just general thoughts on the Bucks. Uh, winning the was it the fifth time in the last six games? I think it is for ETSU. Well, they were they were what were they? They were five and one in December. And yeah. So yeah, six uh, six and one or last seven. I think that's right. Yeah, six of their last seven dating back to December third. Uh, this team is starting to get it rolling, and uh, they're getting rolling they, with a handful of double digit wins. And their only loss. During that stretch was to a solid Utah State team, which I saw their fans are paying attention and celebrated the fact that ETSU would now be a quad three win for them as they mm-hmm. were as they uh, you know again y'all love basketball knowledgeable fans when you start keeping up with that stuff but that's the only loss that you know the first true road yep. win in a long time uh, before the new year with a, uh, a trouncing of East Carolina and I enjoyed yeah. the fan bases going back and forth but yeah you, you yeah that we we claimed the uh, the supremacy in the battle of sailors for hire in the south ETSU Buccaneers over East Carolina Pirates yeah the women took care of Charleston Southern the men took care of East Carolina so I feel like yep. it's done and done I, I feel know. like we, we've really we've really established a, a, a prime place in the hierarchy but yeah the, the Utah State loss you said that's one that's gonna probably gonna it's probably gonna age well for both teams I feel like Utah State's gonna keep winning ETSU certainly seems like a team that can keep winning and yeah show me the Scotsman that doesn't love the Ken Palm right um, they're they're very locked into that and uh, they will be they'll be locked into we sh- we should probably be locked into that too I, and I don't understand why there's no cross pollination between the Northern Pirates and the Southern Pirates because Seton Hall has never played a Pirate Buccaneer mascot team. Ever in basketball? No. Men's no, basketball. I should that. clarify that. Men's basketball, none. I mean, Hampton and Charleston Southern and ETSU and East Carolina have all intermingled in some form or fashion, but mm-hmm. Seton Hall, the uppity Pirates from up north, refuse to play any Pirate Buccaneer team from the south. That's another podcast for another day, but I don't know if you knew that fun fact. Yes, and their ivory ship of the line. Back to <laughs> – that was nice. Yeah, I like that drop. Uh so my takeaway defensively, because I believe defense travels, you can win games when shark shots aren't going in, and ETSU clearly the last couple of weeks um, have played very good defense. They have, to use coach's term, very connected. They are talking. They are in the right spot. They are gang rebounding. Uh, you know, two guys. I mean, if Karan yes. Boyd could have got an extra bucket, there would have been two double doubles last night. Him and Jaden Parker, yeah, they're really legit rebounds for the fourth straight game for Boyd. So I mean, just they're doing things on the glass. They're stopping teams. They're holding teams under, you know, the point, point totals that they would like to hold them under. And the fact that they've been able to score in the '80s last couple games, or uh, yeah, '80s last two games, that they've been able to do, um, you know, some things offensively. And I thought 
in that game particularly when Kimari Peterson discovered, hey, no one literally can get in front of me and stop me. I'm going to go to the rim. I thought that changed the complexion of the game in the first half because he was reckless abandoned going to the rim. Uh, Gabe Sisk, the last two games, has proven to have a high basketball IQ. Clearly, um, what he learned from his ETSU 1020 professor has carried on to the basketball court, uh, Keith. And so, uh, but, you know, I think he hit that lull, and I'm dead serious. I think he hit the, came in early in the summer, coach was high on him, he talked to us about Gabe Sisk. You came up a couple of times uh, when you watched and said, hey, I think this Sisk kid's going to be pretty good. Yep. And then I think he hit a little bit of that freshman, like, college life hit him. You know, the studying, the travel on the buses, the I'm not getting to play early, things that just kind of, you know, you hit kind of that lull you hear about. And then as the semester started to wind down, all of a sudden, he started to pick things back up, and we'll see, you know, when school starts in the spring, as he figured out college life and the things that go around the student-athlete part of it, not just the athletic side of it. But he's been given opportunity the last two games, and he's clearly proven that he should be on the floor. I, you used the term, and, and I, I like the way that you talked about this, basketball IQ is a very cliche thing. Nobody really knows what it means. But when you watch some of the passes that Sisk makes during the flow of a possession, and, 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 and in transition as well, I mean, you know, great home run passes over the top, getting Asamoa, uh, behind-the-back pass to Peterson, the trailer for a layup, the things he does with a basketball, he understands spacing and positioning and anticipation, all of the things that kind of meld into what we would understand as basketball IQ. He has a really high basketball IQ and understands how the game should be played, where the ball is supposed to go, and when. And now that he's gotten a little more comfortable with the pace, and you can tell defensively, Pace the game, still a little bit of an adjustment for him. But he has a better sense of the speed at which he has to play in order to be on the floor. That's earning him floor time, and he's going to get the, the minutes to figure it out. Gabe Sisk in the second half of the year is going to be really fun to watch, and he is going to create a lot of great scoring opportunities for ETSU off the bench. And out of depth, I think that's the biggest thing is ETSU still bench, still needs more. I thought Tyler Rice uh, in his role against Mercer was great. Come in, guard the point, uh, hound him, you know, create limited minutes because Kimari was, uh, you know, they play the same position and Kimari Peterson's having himself a night. So it's tough to get Tyler Rice out there. But Makai Johnson hit a big three in the corner when they needed it. They needed a little bit. I think more offensively out of him, Braden Illick had a hard time. Again, foul trouble when he comes in. They've got to figure out. He has to figure out, you know, how to stay on the floor. You know, he picks up three quick fouls. It's hard to trust him when you're, you're fouling that much. But he's clearly a guy that can add offense. He hit a big three against East Carolina. That was a little bit of a dagger that, that I think took the wind out of the sails of East Carolina. So I, I think they still need more out of the bench they're getting some production if sis continues to play the way he is and i think rice has been playing fairly well coming off the bench as well and establish himself as he can play the one or two coming off the bench if you can get makai uh you know a bucket here and there you can get Braden, you know to create and, and you know again not foul get rebounds and hit that three-point shot that he's very good at 
you know, and stretch the floor, I think then, you know, you've got things coming together. I still think they need a little bit more out of the bench, but right now ETSU is doing a great job gang rebounding, playing tough defense, diving on the floor, getting the 50-50 balls, and really, you know, kind of trusting one another. It happened last night where one guy had an open shot. You could hear the bench, you know, one more, and the player didn't even hesitate. He swung it an extra time, and Ebi Asamoa was able to knock down the three. I think it was Karan Boyd who had an open look, but he made the pass for a more open look, mm-hmm. and it was rewarded. And I think when you see that happen, guy passing a semi-open look to another teammate who has a wide-open look, then I think that's when you're starting to see a team really starting to settle in and gel. And, and I know for Coach Savage it's tough because you want to be your own guy and you're always going to be compared to Steve Forbes and that. But this is very similar, Keith, to what it looked like in Coach Forbes' first year. They got off to a little bit of a, a mediocre non-conference season. They played a really hard, tough game against Tennessee. Was I think it was actually tied going to the last media timeout. Tennessee went by like 8 or 10. It was similar to Utah State. Like They played a heck of a basketball game, got beat by a better team as they did against Tennessee, yep. got beat by a better team, and Coach looked at me midway through that, and he said, what does this remind you of? And I said, Tennessee, and he said, yes, that's exactly right. And he said, we took off the second half of the season right after that game. And it was the same thing. They had a big non-conference win before they started conference play. Same similar situation, big non-conference win. East Carolina started conference play, and they won, I think it was 13, 14 conference games, got to the championship game. Lost to a um, uh, who was it that year? Chattanooga, I guess they lost in that championship game, in which they had, uh, and that started kind of a run in Southern Conference, where the team that lost in championship game with Chattanooga the previous year had like four straight years where the, the next year that team won a championship game, yeah. and so it was able to kind of hey we got there we got a taste we didn't get it we got to go, and it was the very next year at ETSU was able to go to the tournament. Now I'm not putting that on Coach Savage that he's going to get to a title game this year and he's going to win one next year. I don't want to do that, but I think. The comparisons are very much real. And where I was eventually going with that, where I thought they turned the corner that year, not just defensively, but they were making the extra pass for the open shot. And we're starting to see that now. They're making the extra pass. A guy isn't trying to hunt his points. He's hunting the best shot for the team for the team to win. Yes. And as a result, ETSU is winning. Uh, Now, how long, to your point, how long can this team go with – Peterson, Asamoah, Parker, uh, Boyd, all playing 30-plus, 33, 35, 36 minutes. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, I, I don't like that either. But, I mean, the flip side of it is Jalen McCreary didn't play in the game for Mercer, and J.P. Pegues isn't playing right now for Furman, and they just lost by double digits to UNCG. I mean, your guys are healthy, and you gotta ha- you got to use them while they're out there, while they're available to you, because there's going to come a point where they might not be. Uh, so I am completely fine with that in the short term, but yeah, something needs to emerge, and uh, I think ball movement will help more scorers emerge for ETSU because you're going to get better better shots uh, just in the course of your offense. So, yeah, I think they're they're playing all right. They, I thought they played a really good first half last night. Second half, um, you could tell some guys were not totally 100%, maybe slowing down a little bit, lost some steam. In the second half, of course, Jaden Seymour picked up that technical early, and he was not feeling super great. Um, and he got like an Avi at halftime. Yeah, you could tell he, he didn't. Was. He didn't play his best game, and still finished with what eight points. 
uh, and, and hit some big buckets late in that game to will ETSU to the win. One more thing. Last two games, ETSU 50 of 55 from the free throw line. That's going to yes, win you a lot of basketball That's going to win you a lot of basketball games. Especially when you think about, you know, five, six minutes left, you're up by seven. You're trying to put this game away. Kimari Peterson's at the line. He hits two free throws. Uh, or Kimari Peterson's at the line. He rushes the first one, makes one of two free throws. Mercer goes down, hits a three. You know, th- those sorts of things matter in trying to win these games. And I think this ETSU team has learned how to win. If it needed to learn how to win, they have learned how to win these games, and they do that by putting themselves in a good position on the front end. And then when the other team gives you everything they've got to try to come back on you, you take your time, no mistakes, with the ball in your hands, get to the line, make it the most of your opportunities. And ETSU's doing that. Yes, I'm playing a power bump. Get you some, East Carolina. Weren't they the ones that were up in arms about the no-quarter thing in football? Yes, which Stephen May invented when he was working for a Jumbotron company that they have found. Uh-huh. I noticed that in the press release when we, our basketball team beat theirs by 16. That was funny. That's funny. They get mad. You know what? You lost. All right, let's talk a little women's hoops real quick. Obviously, they finished the... Uh, non-conference portion of their schedule. The last game they played was Coker. Other than the Clemson game, they've been rocking and rolling. Um, lost to Lipscomb, which is a very good basketball team. They about was that six in a row? Two, four, five, yep, six. So they won uh, seven of eight. Uh, and in the non-conference portion of the schedule, at eleven and four, and looked the part. So does Chattanooga if you look at their non-conference as well. Chattanooga looks very good. And those are the top two teams in the league in Southern Conference. If you take a look at it, I don't think now. doesn't mean an upset here or there can happen, but there's a lot of question marks around the league other than ETSU and Chattanooga as the cream of the crop of the Southern Conference women's division. I'm not sold on – I'm still not sold on Wofford. They go as Rachel I Rose didn't even goes. say them. So, yes, you, yeah. does that tell I'm, you how I feel about them? Yeah, I mean, they beat Virginia, and that's a nice win, but – I don't know. I, I, I can't get out of my head the way that Chattanooga and ETSU were able to completely disrupt whatever they were trying to do when they played their five-out nonsense. Um, I I just don't see it with them yet. I, maybe they'll, we'll get into SOCOM play, and they'll prove me wrong, but I'm just not sold. I think this is ETSU or Chattanooga at the top. Uh, and right now, if you ask me, which team's going to win it, I would probably give you Chattanooga by a whisker. Uh, I think the mocks have, have played maybe a little more consistently uh, against a tough schedule. ETSU's played a very tough schedule. And you know what? The Bucks have won their games. The, they were, uh, what, 9-1 and one against mid-majors in non-conference play. So I say that, and I'm like, you know, there, there have been games where it felt like they could have played better where they could have closed out stronger, where a game that maybe um, was tight at the end didn't need to be quite so tight if they execute everything the way that, they, that they're that they capable of, that their talent is capable of delivering. Uh, but they're still winning the games. They're still finding ways to stack wins. They go into SOCOM play 11-4 and four, and a really good opportunity to have another really, really good year under Brenda Mock Brown. Um, they needed to get Kendall Foley going. I think she got right in a big way against a decent Coker team. Devay Brown's been awesome. 
uh, Ja'Kiah Davis. They need to get her back healthy once they do. Uh, I, I think you've seen enough from their other post players to get them to the finish line. Okay. Megan Downing is going to give you enough to get you over the finish line, but Ja'Kiah Davis is going to be your primary post-scoring option. I don't think that surprises anybody compared to what they were expecting coming in. Uh, Journey McDaniel, when she's been hot, she's been white hot offensively. Defensive piece is still coming together for her. Uh, overall, I think this team probably needs one more shooter or one more big. I mean, ideally both, but really one or the other to emerge in conference play in order to be able to compete with Chattanooga when it gets to a high-stakes game in Asheville for the SoCon title, because I really do think these two teams will be playing for the SoCon championship in March. I'm a little encouraged because three-point shooting the last several years has been a, a challenge, uh, just to be nice about it. And right now, as a team shooting over 30%, they would like that still be a little higher, but still, yeah. they've been under 30% last several years as a team. Well, I, you look at it, Courtney Moore's not been shooting the ball particularly well the last couple of games. I think she's like two of her last 11 or something from three, and um, seems like the shots just aren't falling for her right now. And again, still finding ways to win basketball games without that. You're feeling okay about that if you can just get Courtney Moore going. Because she's getting looks. Like, again, these shots, Jay, they're not forcing bad shots for the most part. They're not taking shots that you look at it and go, what the heck were you thinking pulling the trigger on that? Every now and then there will be one early in a possession. Somebody gets a, a, an open. They're a little too open for their own good, and right, they panic a little bit, and they just like fire it up. Uh, but for the most part, these are good shots. They're products of the offense, and they're just not hitting them. Uh, and that's been what Courtney Moore's had to go through. Devay Brown went through it for a little bit and then exploded. Kendall Foley went through it for a couple of games and then exploded against uh, Coker and hopefully will continue to go. And now they've got – a long stretch of time where all they have to do is practice. They practice and condition. They had a 20-day stretch, and we're in the middle of it right now, where they play one game. Between the Clemson game and the Sanford game, they played one game in a 20-day period. It was the Coker game. So they got a lot of opportunities to work on themselves. Great at not turning the basketball over. That's yeah, going to help generally some games. Yes. And yeah, they've had you know with Clemson and a few others that I think you can. I thought you know, they could have been better with it against Coker, to be honest. And then, and sometimes and I agree, but sometimes you get in those games and hate to say it, but there ten, there has to there is a little bit. You just got yeah. The best part about that, those games is that they're over. Yeah, just yeah. But and then still, you know what women's basketball at ETSU has been really for almost uh, 15, 20 years now. You know, they've usually won the tops in the league as far as steals and then creating the points off turnovers. And I think they've not turned the ball over as much this year as they have in years past. They're shooting the three a little better in years past. They're still taking away the basketball. I think they've been better on the glass this year. So I think this is you're starting to see they are getting better. There are still a few things I'm sure they would like to clean up. But it still seems like it's a two-team race when it gets to the conference play starting on January 11th, which is ETSU and Chattanooga. And we'll see. Now, there are some injuries on the women's side that will they get some people back. There are some people missing on some rosters I still haven't got clarification on. So I'm still trying to figure out who's going to have what as the season uh, starts, really, for them the second season and you know, for both teams. Uh, and 
there is not an at-large bid that's going to be had. It is no, absolutely how not. How are you absolutely going not. to play and position yourself for those games in March in Asheville to try to get to an NCAA tournament? So, All right, that is our Hoops Talk. Now what everyone has been waiting for. Football. I've been waiting for it, too, to be honest. I wanted to do this before the before the holiday break, but here we are. So Trey Lamb's recruiting class, as of yesterday, with the addition of linebacker William McRaney, is up to 19 offensive players and 14 defensive players. That's 33 guys that are that have been announced by the university. Uh, and that's a lot. That's a big class. And most of that is portal. 20 of those uh, 33 are transfers from Gardner-Webb. That's a lot. Yeah, and that's one thing. I uh, have, you know, again, there's a lot of people who have a lot of opinions out there. Some are, you know, uh, boo train lamb for taking all the Gardner-Webb uh, people that are Gardner-Webb fans and decimating them. There are other fans, well, why would you bring so many people from Gardner-Webb? They couldn't be Mercer. Um, I would say that Trey Lamb probably has a better grip on who he needs to win at ETSU, and I'm assuming he has brought the guys that are going to help him do that. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, yes. For, that's, that's where I go with that. And, unfortunately, whenever a coach leaves to go to another job, there is always a danger uh, that, I mean, let's look at, we all love Steve Forbes around here, but Davian Williamson, Tamari Monsanto, all those guys went to Wake Forest and did not come to ETSU. Well, there's also a unique component to this. I mean, this is going to happen somewhat. A player, There are going to be some players that follow coaches to other destinations. I mean, Kurt Signetti took, I think, seven or eight guys with him from JMU to Indiana um, after the success that they had. Uh, the reason that this number is so large is because there were so few players here in the first place. Uh, I believe the number was like 34.8 scholarships accounted for at the end of the 2023 football season. So you think about that, that leaves you quite a bit of room to go out and get some players and add players that are maybe not necessarily on full scholarship, but a lot of players that are on full scholarship to come to ETSU and be part of what you're doing here. Um, they're just there has there was so little in the cupboard in terms of just the sheer number of guys and it's kind of overwhelming when you look at the, look at it I mean it's it's like this is like in 1978 the Cleveland Barons and the Minnesota North Stars merged and they combined their two rosters and four years later they won their division um, now that wasn't that you're hoping for a little bit more immediate impact for ETSU than the, the Barons gave to the North Stars. But uh, that's basically what it is. This is two teams that are merging the core pieces of their rosters together to create a new and ideally better football team. And we'll see, but uh, the, the talent they've been able to add and the guys that have the, – the experience they've been able to add with multiple seasons of eligibility – left, I think is really exciting. 
you look at Jaquan Adams in particular. He was a starting. He started every game at left tackle for Gardner Webb last year. He's got three seasons of eligibility left as he transfers to ETSU. That's exciting. I'm excited about that, man. Um, you've got Ty Anderson who has two years plus his red shirt left. Jay Barnes uh, or Jai Barnes. I have to figure out how to say it. Has two years left. Defensive lineman. Uh, three years left for A.J. Johnson, the wide receiver, who they think could be the best one of the receivers that they brought with them. And they brought Ephraim Floyd uh, with them as well. He's very good. Um, the Kareem Page, also very good. Uh, those guys have a couple years left. A, a lot of players with two years of eligibility left, uh, or three, or in Ryan Barrett's case, four, uh, that are going to be able to contribute at ETSU for the medium and long term and part of a longer term ramp up of this program where you do have some guys that have one year. Willie Harris has a year. McRaney has a year. Cole Doyle, the quarterback from St. Francis, is a one-year guy. You're going to have a few of those, but for the most part, this team to me is built to really turn the corner and be a national player in 2023. Um, and I think opportunity will present itself based on, we were talking about this earlier, the schedule sets up really well for ETSU in 2025, uh, that there's a chance that that team could win 10 games if everything goes according to plan between then and now. And 2024 is going to be a year where I don't think they're going to be bad by any means, but they're going to take a step forward. Um, I, I would expect, though, 2025 is the year where this team really looks like a team that you look around and you go, hey, we could do something with this bunch. So seven one-year <coughs> players, one-year eligibility left yes. that we can calculate, which doesn't, you know, with today's world, you know, things change. But right now out of the 34, seven looks like one-year of eligibility. So all those other guys are two or more. They're still, you know, you got to be excited. There's like seven high school guys on the roster too. Yeah, and they're adding more. So they've already got another couple of commitments from high school players. Uh, they're still recruiting another high school quarterback. They're looking at a lot of different things to try to. They want to add another handful of high school guys in the spring. You're talking nine or more three and four year guys, high yeah. school guys aside. So yes. again, there's a great mix of one year, two year, three year, four year, plus four plus if they're high school because they can redshirt and some other things. Mm-hmm. Other thing I would say, what I do like about bringing Gardner-Webb folks over yeah. is, one, the learning curve by using peers to teach the system, right, on offense and defense and at different positions. They didn't just stack up on its only quarterbacks, wide receivers, or our linemen. There are tight ends, right? The only thing they didn't bring was a running back, although they have some athletes. So I don't know exactly where some of these guys fit in. but And, and there is there, – there are stuff in the works on running back. I think they are still actively recruiting that and, position. And if you were to say what one position on offense did have some talent that you are okay with and was not hurting, it would be, I think, running back at yeah. ETSU. And I don't know if it's exactly the type of runners and things that they want, but it is certainly a position like, hey, you have two or three, four guys that you can certainly hand the ball off to and not feel real bad about it. So I think that's the one thing is you're able to teach the system through some of the peers because you're only limited in hours of practice and things you can do. And if you're going to try to be successful in year one, having people know the system and the terminology on offense and on defense. And, again, if you take a look at the defense and some of the guys they brought over, 
there are defensive linemen, there are linebackers, there yes. are secondary people. Yes. So they certainly know what can. So I think that's a little bit uh, smart strategic play for Trey Lamb to the naysayers that didn't necessarily. And not there's not that many out there. There are more that are excited about this than not. But I do think trying to find the best players from Gardner-Webb that are willing to come with you is smart. I also think it's going to help the learning curve of offense and defense individual players right. on how they want to do And not just what is the actual play. How do we practice the play, right? What is the play supposed to accomplish? There's a lot that goes into that. And when you're talking about basketball or other sports, um, you know, seven, eight guys you can get around it, right? You know, you can get three or four guys doing the right thing, but the fifth guy doesn't do it. Well, guess what? If ten guys do the right thing on one dome football, it's tough. So you need more guys on the same page. Mm -hmm. It is tougher to get that to work. I think most people would agree with that. And I'm not taking away from another sport. There are just more bodies that have to be on the same page. And so I think that's kind of the key. So let's talk about some of the guys, the individual guys that are coming in. Um, And and particularly in the quarterback room is always a position of interest to Tyler Rydell at the transfer portal. Um, and you wondered, okay, what's the future of the quarterback position going to be at ETSU? Well, uh, they went out and added uh, three guys that I think have a really bright future, short and long term, at ETSU. Uh, Cole Doyle uh, is a quarterback from St. Francis. He also had an offer from Wagner uh, in the transfer portal. Uh, The 2022 Northeast Conference Offensive Player of the Year, not this, this season, but the season uh, past the season before it uh, was the NEC Offensive Player of the Year and a Walter Payton Award finalist had an outstanding season at St. Francis and in 2023 he was just okay uh, but somebody that comes in with one year veteran quarterback veteran presence Jalen King 6'4 200 uh, a freshman All-American for multiple publications at the FCS level comes in with three years of eligibility and his red shirt still if they want to go that route or if he needs to go that route for some reason. Uh, he They wanted a red shirt in this year. Injuries happen. Didn't work out. King is huge. He's got a, he's huge. He's got a huge arm. This is a really, really serious high-level prospect for ETSU to have in the fold transferring in from Gardner-Webb. And then the third quarterback they added, uh, on a letter of intent was Reese Fountain, who was the first player to commit to Trey Lamb, a high school quarterback uh, out of Rome High School in Georgia. The, I believe it was 6A all-state quarterback in the state of Georgia. Oh, is that all? So you get a Walter Payton National Offensive Player of the Year finalist, former Conference Player of the Year. You get a freshman All-American, and now you added a, a the Georgia penultimate level of competition Georgia high school all-state quarterback in the 2023-2024 signing class that's a heck of a haul and if you want to talk about rebuilding a team you want to start with quarterback that's a great way to get better fast is to go get three guys that have done really exceptional things in really high level environments it's a good mix too I mean again you've got a one-year guy in Doyle who has been a player of the year in his conference. You've got King. You mentioned the freshman accolades and was kind of thrust into duty when probably they didn't want to use him. Right. And then you've got a freshman coming in that's got all kinds of accolades and uh, at one of the highest levels in Georgia, which, let's be honest, that's a state that 
ETSU has been successful in getting some of its best players, all-time greats, and then it's also been where Gardner-Webb has been able to find its speed because that's the one thing Trey Lamb wants is speed, and that's at every position. Yes, and on top of that, you also have a player in King who knows the offense, has an established rapport with some of the guys you're bringing in at receiver to try to make an impact and, and infuse that position with a, a little bit more explosiveness um, to add some guys to it. He's already got a rapport with Ephraim Floyd. Floyd led the team in pass receptions this season. Uh, Kareem Page led the team in receiving yards this season. So he knows those two guys well. A.J. Johnson is another guy that played a ton this year for the running Bulldogs. So, again, King has already worked with him. He knows all these guys that you're trying to get the football to uh, and has a great command of the scheme. Cole Doyle understands how to build those relationships. Reese Fountain understands how to build those relationships and also is going to watch these other guys and how they go about their business because they've already established themselves at this level and are going to do the, and are doing the things that he wants to do at ETSU for Trey Lamb eventually. So uh, that really sticks out to me. Uh, Jaquan Adams, I mentioned, starter at left tackle. Um, as I look up and down the rep, Will McCraw was a starter at right tackle for Gardner-Webb last season. Uh, they've added Gabriel Thompson, who was the starting center at Gardner-Webb a year ago. Uh, they added, I think, the top two tight ends, Jonathan Burns and Kendall Williams at Gardner-Webb. So they've really overhauled the offense. And then defensively, leading tackler, William McCraney. Second leading tackler, Ty Anderson, who was an outstanding freshman and was really, really good last year as well. He's got two seasons of eligibility left. Uh, they loaded up on defensive linemen, and they've added at corner. Jimmy Bowdry third played a lot of snaps at corner for Gardner-Webb last year. Cam Sims started for Mercer two seasons ago. He's in the fold with ETSU. Taiwan Royal played a little bit, uh, I think, for Gardner-Webb, but red-shirted, so he's got four years. And then they added a safety, a versatile guy in uh, Jaden Woods. A uh, one-year deal for him, uh, transferring in from Akron. He's going to have the opportunity to do some things, I think maybe in some sub-packages. You can use him as kind of a big nickel. Uh, you can use him in a lot of different ways. Or you can move Chris Hope down in the box where he's pretty good. We saw that last year. Hope very good tackling in the box. Maybe you play Woods in coverage alongside Sheldon Arnold. You can do a lot of different things when you've got that depth and that flexibility to make some adjustments. And then the high school guys that they added were really good. J.C. Anderson, the wide receiver out of Jacksonville, Florida, was a three-star, uh, decommitted from Georgia Southern, and that's a great pickup for ETSU. Uh, Taylor McClure, 6'2", 220 linebacker out of Hayesville, North Carolina, comes in to a linebacker's room that is suddenly stacked. I mean, that is, they are loaded at linebacker with uh, West and Hoskins, who played a ton for ETSU last year, plus Ray Coney, Dre Delanois, then you add McRaney to that. You add Ty Anderson to that. Uh, just added a ton of experience. Let me just throw McRaney. And McRaney started 40 games. Yes. So that's a guess. He was their leading tackler three years in a row. Had 100-plus tackles three straight years. So he's a, yeah, it's a ton of experience that they've added, a ton of talent that they've added to that room. And it's not just old guys. It's young guys, too, that are going to make an impact for ETSU at those positions. Um I would keep an eye on Micah Sumter, 
uh, tackle transfer from Charlotte, 6'4", 290. Uh, he's got four years of eligibility, and he's a guy that has an opportunity, I think, uh, to play a little bit. Uh, the guard spots are going to be interesting because they brought some players with them that got some experience. I mentioned Gabriel Thompson. Obviously, you bring back Luke Smith. Um, Chris Everhart, because of the injury he picked up against the Citadel, is probably not going to participate in the spring. I would imagine he'll be ready for fall camp, though. Uh, but it's somebody that they like a lot and, and, and they're excited about. And then Miana Jones, true freshman, uh, is going to be able to uh, to hold down a spot, I would imagine. Certainly somebody that's very uh, very much established himself as a favorite of his teammates and a favorite of, of the fans and a favorite of the folks around campus uh, very early in his career. And then they added Seth Williams uh, from App State, who comes in with two years of eligibility, another interior offensive lineman. So they've loaded up at a lot of different spots. If you ask me, what does this team need after everything they've added with um, they got some interior pass rush, I think, with Dalen Howard, uh, junior college, Georgia Military College comes in with three years of eligibility. Uh, they added you know, Barnes, I mentioned. Uh, Willie Harris will be really good. I think on the inside, Rashad Whitehead has two years. All those guys can play and, and can rotate, and you've got a little bit more depth on the interior. So it's not, hey, Devin Brantley, can you play 65 snaps? You don't have to play 65 snaps anymore. Nobody on this defensive line is going to have to play 65 snaps, which means they're all going to be fresh. They're all going to be able to make a maximum impact. Jalen George is going to be able to play fewer but more meaningful, more impactful reps. Uh, I still think this team needs one absolute freaky athlete edge rusher, that a guy that you have to circle on the scouting report and say, hey, tackles, don't let this guy get in the backfield because if he does our quarterback is going to be eating a turf sandwich. Uh, I, I need this guy. I want a guy that scares me on the edge for ETSU and once you get that I think this team's got a lot. Got most or all of what it needs to be a really really good football team right away in 2024. Yeah going back to the offense real quick I think the one thing too is the way they spread uh, at least Trey Lamb at Gardner Webb you're talking about six receivers with 18 or more catches. Yes. You know, and so just it's just all over the map. And it's more about getting the ball in the playmaker's hands. They threw the ball, you know, give or take, uh, was that, 395 times, and they ran it 481. So you get that, that the misconception, right, that they're going to spread it out. That's a lot of do plays. It, that's a ton of plays. And so – and they want to play fast. That's right? a lot of plays. They want wide receivers out near the numbers, yep. you know, try to get um, – you know, numbers in a run game. That's Are you ready for tempo football at ETSU? Yeah, well, I'm going to have to be. I don't think it really matters if I want to be. Are you ready? Because I know you, you and I have talked about this. and like, oh, boy, we got to play Sanford. we got to play tempo. Well, now teams are going to be talking about ETSU the same way. It, it will be interesting. Can Matt Wilgham and Mark Hutzel spit out whatever they're going to say quick enough before the next play? My answer is probably not. I, I think Willie can do it. I, I don't know. Hutzel is – I, now, watching him play fast is going to drive him crazy. It, it is. It's going to drive him nuts. He can't he get hates, out of 1979 He, he hates tempo. And, um, no, the, the, the stories that Mark tells when he gets going, and it's great stuff. I think it's really – I think, honestly, I think he does great on radio with you. Like, I think he does a really good job on yes, radio. Yes, because he loves being a homer. <laughs> yes, he does. That's why he's so good at it. Um and it's entertaining, you know. It's it's entertaining, but yeah, you know, when he gets going, you know how it is. You get you get get a little story time with Mark. 
Um, and it's it's fun. It's funny stuff. But when you have 15 seconds between plays, those stories get a lot shorter because they have to. So I, I think it'll drive him nuts. And it'll probably drive me nuts a couple of times. But listen, uh, I, I think all of us are ready for a winner again in ETSU when it comes to football. And so if we have to be mildly inconvenienced by the sheer uh, breakneck speed of our offense, I don't think that's a, a, a thing that we, we're going to look in the mouth. You know, We're not going to be too worried about it. <laughs> I mean, that or spawn it. Uh, so they ran 800. I'm just trying to do the math. 876 plays. What is it? What, how many plays do you think ETSU ran? I'm, I'm going to look that up. Um, like two-thirds of that. That's what I was thinking. Maybe 600. Let me let me let me see if I can get there fast enough to see. But you also have to remember, you know, the offense struggled to stay on the field a lot of times. Third downs, so that factors in. You, you run fewer plays that way. I'm I'm ready for. I guess I'm ready for tempo. I don't know if I'm ready for tempo. I guess we'll find out. Because we don't have a choice, like you said. We got to be ready for it. 6:45. Oh, it's not even close. That's, I mean, that's, I, I, I thought 600 was probably going to be the number. That's 231 more plays, Gardner-Weber. Why is any of this making it into the podcast? I don't know. I'm just looking at the, you know, numbers and fun stuff. And, you know, I, I think the big thing, too, is um, an offensive line, continuity. You're talking about mm-hmm. um, fourth offensive line coach in four years. Yes. My math is right. So, I think – you know, for quarterbacks and offensive people in the system, it'll be your fourth coordinator in four years mm-hmm. in general. So there's not been a lot. I mean, uh, the one constant there was was kind of in the quarterback room with Bryce Partrick. Uh, I know he had the one year that he wasn't in the room, but for the most part he was in the room. And so I think the offense is going to – it'll be interesting to see. And that's why I think, yes. again, bringing some players over that right. know the system is, is going to be huge. And then – for the defensive players that were very disciplined and coachable because Billy Taylor demanded it, I think, again, the defense will be ahead of the offense, I think, early. And the one thing ETSU did have was some athleticism with some tweener guys, and I think with that kind of 4-2-5 system that yep. Gardner-Webb wants to run, uh, or that system they ran at Gardner-Webb coming to ETSU, I think that's also – I think that's actually going to be a good thing for ETSU, and I hate to see Billy Taylor go – uh, but if it's not going to go, then I think utilize the athleticism that ETSU has. Because yes. if there's one thing about Arnold and Hope, they could be sort of that, you know, uh, joker, nickelback guy that can really come downhill and help against the run, or they could position themselves against the pass. So I'm really kind of excited for what that brings. Plus, there's going to be some depth at defensive line. How long has it been since there's been depth at oh, defensive man. line? Early eternity. 2000s? An eternity. I think it's early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, real honest-to-goodness depth on the defensive line. We won't know what to do with ourselves. 2018, probably. Um, It's been a while. Been a while. Um, And Hakeem Gray knows all these guys. So he's the new defensive line coach. Uh, Most of the defensive staff came – I mean, most of the coaches. Think of Jalen George if he's put in the right spot. Oh, yeah, he's a monster. Yeah. He's got a – I think he's probably a three tech. Yes. On, yeah, you put on put on eight ten pounds and make him put, make, play him at two eighty two eighty five, make him a three tech. Uh, and that's a dude. That's a dude. He's just he was already so disruptive at two seventy five. Imagine a little extra bulk and a little extra time to 
get off and go, man, sound, sounds good to me. Um, but this, I think the staff knows how to get the best out of what they got. You know, Paul Potter coached these outside linebackers. Um, Greg Jones coached the inside linebackers at Gardner-Webb. They know these personnel. They know them well. Josh Reardon was uh, the defensive coordinator down there. So he knows these guys well. He knows what their strengths are. I'm very curious to see how much four-man front they play because Gardner-Webb played a little of both. They played a little four-man, a little three-man front. The personnel that ETSU has right now tells me three-man front. But they could still add one more guy that, you know, is just a is a problem with his hand in the dirt. Uh, offensively, staff-wise, it's a little bit different. Joe Selfo, who is Frank Selfo's nephew, I believe, the head coach at Southeastern Louisiana. Um, he is uh, the new offensive line coach, uh, and he comes from parts elsewhere. But Dominique Davenport came with – Trey Lamb, Tyler Dell is going to be the quarterback's coach. Uh, he was the tight ends coach, I think, at, at Gardner-Webb. Uh, but he's coming over as well. And then uh, uh, Keyshawn McClain, wide receivers coach. So, again, you got a lot of guys that are familiar with the personnel that you have. And these are players that they've recruited, that they've built relationships with that were at Gardner-Webb. Some of the players that are high school commitments are players that Gardner-Webb was in on as high school recruits because of this staff. So these are players that they know the strengths of pretty well, and I don't think it's going to be too difficult to study the guys that ETSU has coming back just because there aren't that many of them on both sides of the ball. You're going to have a pretty good grasp of, of where you stand personnel-wise. By the time we get to the spring, I think we're really going to see the depth of this team on display. It's going to be deeper than ETSU teams of the recent past, no doubt. Last thing I'm going to touch on, because we're recording at 11.30-ish on Thursday, in about 30 minutes, Billy Taylor will be named officially the head coach of Tusculum College. And I just want to state for the record, I can't be more ecstatic for my friend Billy Taylor to get a shot to be a head coach. Agreed. I, I was wondering if that was going to happen. You know, when you have three openings in the region and you have somebody with his background in northeast Tennessee, you wonder, is it going to happen? And, uh, you know, was it going to be Carson Newman? Was it going to be UVA-wise? Was it going to be uh, Tusculum? And it ends up being Tusculum, a team that played for the SAC championship last year. They won the SAC West. And if everybody stays, he inherits a pretty good, young, stable of talent from Jerry Odom. So happy for Billy and um, excited to see what uh, the Pioneers can get up to with him at the helm uh, in the fall of 2024. Just wanted to mention that. Very exciting. A lot of Buck fans, I think, were excited uh, for Coach Taylor. Yes. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that'll probably be. I know we don't use the term Buck for life a lot, but uh, he's I think a he lifer. already is. He is a lifer. I think he already is. Yeah. I mean, he's been around. He's been around multiple generations of ETSU football as a player and as a coach, and he's going to be. Yeah, he's a buck for life. All right, for those of you clamoring for more Janky podcasts, we should be back to our original twice a week. Starting next week. Says you. Yeah, I'll believe, I'll we're believe, still trying to hire some people. I'll so. believe that you're in that chair twice a week when I see it. You make it sound like I'm lazy. No, you're just everywhere else. Very busy right now, but in a working. We've got to hire Tempest some people. Tempest-tossed Sandoz. All right, we'll be back with you next week. Another episode, Jane Key. Tempest-tossed.